Our lives are marked with calling, calling from a great God who chooses to use us to further his kingdom. Throughout history, we see people who have said yes to this calling, and in doing so, have been used by God in incredible, eternal ways. In the Bible, we see many examples of people running toward the calling on their lives. However, we also read of people who ran away from God. Which one are you? Do your fears, your struggles, your disappointments in people tempt you to turn and flee from the very mission that God has for you? Perhaps you've even forgotten what you yourself have been saved from. Our God is big and his love for us is infinite. May we not run from him and his plans, but instead embrace the calling on our lives and take this infinite love to a lost and dying world. Well, we are really glad that you're here with us today. We're continuing in a series on Jonah. You'll note uh, even the tagline, how to keep hating your enemies. And uh, you're like, hmm, that's odd. And they come to church, how to know how to do that? Hopefully not. Uh, if you're here today and you want to take your Trinity this week, you have some notes that look like this. You want to get those out, have those ready to go to help you track with us. Also, if you have a Bible today, we are in the book of Jonah. We're in Jonah chapter 3. Jonah's one of the minor prophets towards the end of the former covenant, the Old Testament, if you find your way there, and you'll be ready to go. As you're doing that, let me tell you, if you successfully navigated your Trinity this week all the way to your chair and still have these intact, way to go. Our ushers are picking them up all over the place. They're falling out. That's okay. Let me tell you what you missed if you didn't make it to your chair with these. The first off is this. This is great. This is an Easter invite made specifically for you to give away. And what I love about it is that even as I look, it's real simple on the back, just has basic information about when our service times are, how to look online, whatever people wanna know. This is intended not for you, but for you to give to someone else. Some of us might go, well, there's even someone I wanna give it to you. I don't even know if I'll see them this week. For me, that's my situation. I'm taking a picture of both sides and texting it to him this week and saying, hey, I really wanna see you on Easter. So this is meant to be that, so use this well. And let me remind you what we said last week, we would love to see you at a very different time on Easter Sunday. The first goal I'd have is this, hey, whoever you're inviting, you give that to someone they're willing to come, go to whatever service they wanna to go to, no problem. But if you have flexibility beyond that and you love cinnamon rolls, like a lot of you seemed to indicate last week, We'd love to see you for a late sunrise service at 745, and guaranteed you come to this service, no cinnamon rolls. It's that easy. So you can call us mean. We're just trying to incentivize and trying to balance out our service and get great seats at great times. So that's Easter Sunday, two weeks from today. Go ahead and start making sure you're considering who you want to invite. Look at the other insert. It says camp in big letters on it. This is something that we did last year called our impact offering. You guys were incredibly generous. We are big fans of how God uses camp transformationally in young lives. We've seen it again and again, and we want to continue to support that. Last year when we did the impact offering, the funds only went, they were only focused at high school because we had a significant price bump and we wanted to offset that. But this year, impact offering is going to what we'd really always envisioned it for, and that is all three of our camps. So for our kids' camp, middle school camp, high school camp. And so let me tell you a little bit how this is going to go. You'll notice here on the back a lot of information that'll be helpful as far as even what the cost of camp is for kids, and you can process that. But what you'll note is uh, afterwards, after you leave this service, 
the word assaulted is too strong of a word, but there will be people strategically placed at every location that have some great big buckets. Would you guys in the front hold your bucket up so you can see? So when you see a blue bucket or an orange bucket or a yellow bucket, just know that's what they're there for. There's students that'll be all over the campus and that's your opportunity to give to the impact offering. Now, you might say, well, Todd, I didn't come prepared. No problem, we'll do this all month long. So come next week and you'll be set to go. Um, but let me answer a couple questions about the impact offering just to, to get ahead of that. So for some, we would kind of go, well, I'd like to designate that to a certain camp. We're just going to tell you this. We've actually spent a lot of time, they would be the first to tell you, with Kim and Luke and Hilke who oversee our camps and said, hey, let's, let's kind of in advance kind of decide on percentages of how that money is going to be broken up. The whole goal at the end of the day, this helps kids get to camp. And so what percentage will go to each, we've already decided. So what we just ask you to do is write a check or give, you can actually even give online. There's on our website, a drop-down menu, and you can indicate impact offering relates to our summer camp offering. We would just ask you to give and trust as we break that up percentage-wise that we know what each camp needs based on the amount of campers, the cost of camp, et cetera. So we would just ask, don't worry about designating this is for kids' camp or this is for middle school or high. Just give to the offering and just trust that We've actually figured out the percentages that work best for those camps. The other thing to note too, this is also not a type of offering where you can designate a certain name. I want this to go to Johnny, especially if Johnny's my kid or my grandkid, okay? Doesn't work. So just give to the offering, just know that that's how we're gonna use is to help kids get to camp. We, if you were with us last year at our fall reunion up at Forest Home, it was a powerful time. I think we had 25 baptisms, and of those, multiple students came up, got baptized, and their connection to why they were getting baptized was their recent experience at summer camp. So we know God is on the move. He uses a unique camp experience like few others, and as a church, we want to get behind that, and we want to see how God wants to use this summer's camp experience towards that end. All right, so that'll be available to you after the service and for the rest of this month as well um, so we can really help our kids get there. Well, let me catch you up a little bit, especially if you're here for the first time. I want to welcome you. Let me catch you up to our series so far. We're in Jonah chapter 3. This is what we've seen so far. Jonah 1, Jonah runs, God pursues. And what we saw on a map is we realized real quickly the things that we've iconically connected to the story don't make any sense if Jonah would have just done what God said because you don't need a boat to get to Nineveh. Nineveh was 550 miles northeast over the sand. Instead, he got on a boat and went 25. His goal was to go 2,500 miles west through the Mediterranean all the way to the tip of Spain at a city called Tarshish. So he was literally going in the most opposite direction he could think of when then in chapter two, God says, no, I got a different plan. So we saw in, God, in a Genesis, or Jonah chapter two that Jonah prayed. He gets pitched over the side in the water. Jonah prayed, God delivers, and he delivered him of all. We talked last week about this, this phrase, and through the severe mercy of getting swallowed by a fish. Three days he's in this fish, gets spewed out onto the ground, and that's what we said was so funny. We've always identified Jonah and the big fish, when if Jonah obeys, it always should have been Jonah and his camel. That's exactly how the story should go, but he chose not to. So today, here's what we're going to see. Jonah is finally going to choose to obey. He's going to do what God calls him to do, and he's going to give an eight-word message. That's all we have recorded for our sakes is eight words, and it is not happy news. 
But as a result, the Ninevites repent. And we're gonna watch a little bit of what that looks like. For us, this book, and especially this chapter, is so significant because we believe that God has called us to be a people who are rooted in Jesus, reaching our worlds. And as a result of that, we don't wanna be a people any longer indifferent We definitely don't want to be a people who have even an animosity towards other people. Instead, we want to see ourselves as ambassadors of Jesus to our worlds. And this book is helping us see what that looks like. Here's our now what statement today in your notes and on the screens. Choose to be an intentional influencer in your people's lives, meaning your relational world, expecting, this is the cool part, expecting God to work. Let me unpack that with you today. Number one in your notes, God's patience allows for future opportunities for your obedience. Man, what a great, if we just stop right there, we should say, yay, God. Can we do that, one, two, three? Yay, God. That is great news. God doesn't give up on you even when you keep choosing the opposite of what he says. Jonah chapter three, verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city and proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So we pick up the story. Here's Jonah 3. And what we see is that this big fish spews him out onto the shore. What we said was powerful last week, spews him out in the very direction he was supposed to go in chapter 1. And chapter three, now that he's covered in slime, begins outside of that in the very same way chapter one did. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Guess what? Spewed up on the beach, go to Nineveh. It's a redo. He gives him the opportunity to try again to do this very same thing that he started out to do. Here's an important note. Look in your notes. When you run from God's calling on your life, He's not going to give you another assignment until you complete the first one he put in front of you. That's a really important point. God is not going to say, when Jonah comes back the first time, he's spewed up on the beach, God doesn't go, well, that didn't work. Bummer. I I guess we'll we'll try plan B and, and do some other thing with you instead. No. Puts him on the beach, faces in the direction towards the people he was supposed to go to in chapter one, and now in chapter three, go ahead and go to that people. So God is going to keep at that. God is going to do that in our lives. He's going to keep surfacing the same calling rather than go, well, you're not on board. I guess I'll change my mind. God has a way of not doing that. God sends him right back to the very same horrible people he didn't want to go to. Watch this with the very same message. Bring words that judgment is coming. Jonah 3.3 is a verse to take note of. It's the first time in the book. I want you to watch that. We're over halfway done with this short book. It's the first time in the book that Jonah does something he should have. It's kind of a powerful thing when you think of this is a prophet of God. People then, people today would have a very high view of that. You know, you're this holy man, you know, kind of a thing. We've already walked through half the book, and he's doing his own thing, not God's thing. And here's what I want to do. I'm not trying to create a whipping post where we can just go after Jonah. I want you to see, when you look in the mirror, you and I look a lot like him. Praise God, he keeps giving us redos. Praise God, he's patient with us, and the first time that we veer to the side, he doesn't just kind of wipe his hands and he's done. He keeps bringing us back to the middle to ask the very same question again. This is what I have for you, will you step towards it? It's exactly what he does for Jonah, and you and I should be encouraged through this. And that's what I want to help you with. 
I feel a great passion for this, to help you and I stop wasting the chapters and pages of our lives doing things that won't matter. Remember the picture that we showed last week? It wasn't as though those people who were established on the rock were there doing horrible things. They were doing everyday things that you and I do. There's nothing wrong with what they were doing. The problem was, what's wrong is what they weren't doing. They weren't engaging in what mattered most. They weren't engaging in the most important, critical thing right in front of their faces. I have a passion to help us as a people say, God, we want to set aside lesser things to focus our attention, focus our lives, focus our resources, focus our focus on what you say matters most. The only thing going into eternity that you can see and know and look at are the people you're sitting next to. People are what matter. People are why we're on the planet. We talk often about this idea of being an ambassador of Jesus. I want you to live a life worth living. I want you to live a life that will be rewarded. I want you to live a life that your master will say, well done. So we're gonna keep driving at that as a church. Jonah then begins to describe this massive city. History would tell us that Nineveh, no doubt, housed at this time in the 8th century BC, 100,000 people lived in or near the capital. And this is an interesting city. Remember we said this is the nation of Assyria. Nineveh is the capital city. And what Assyrian kings would do, remember, the scope of their empire was massive. And they would bring trophies and prizes from all the conquered peoples and drop them into Nineveh. So Nineveh was almost like this museum of all these trophies and prizes from conquered peoples all over the world that they had now on display. And so this is a great and mighty city. They took a lot of pride in this city for a host of reasons. He said it took three days to go through it, referring to this large capital city that would have included both residential areas as well as buildings that were used for government and for religious purposes. Rather than keep trying to describe Nineveh, an actual, a 3D artist has come up with a rendition I want you to take a look at today. See this. So just kind of a cool visual to kind of go, wow, this is pretty expansive. And you think about how long ago that was and people had really truly an urban setting they developed. That might help your mind's eye. So think about this. Jonah goes into the city. Jonah is from Israel. He is actually a people we've said before. By this time, we read in the former covenant that they've been sending marauding bands over to truly agitate and hurt this northern kingdom of Israel. So he goes almost as this kind of not yet defeated. They're going to be defeated by Assyria but defeated person, but he walks in and this is his message, we read it, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. He does exactly what God asks him to do. And when you think about that, that's interesting, kind of a, even a message to bring pure judgment, right? This is not gonna go well. Think in your minds, it wasn't necessarily that they would have conjured up that God's gonna rain, you know, hailstone and, and, and hailstone, brimstone and fire, that's what I was looking for. Hailstone would be also painful, though. So it wasn't as though they were worried about that. They were worried about that, that message is that another nation's going to come and is going to do you in. That, those were his words. And, and as we read that, we kind of go, this is fascinating. Jonah, two chapters ago, I would rather die than have, give that people any shot at being 
redeemed, any shot of repentance. Now there's been change. And we would expect being thrown into a tumultuous sea and swallowed by a fish would change a lot of us. It changed Jonah. And I have great news. There is great hope for you and I. God is not done, and he is doing things to keep redirecting us all back to the mission that matters most. Look in your notes. There's hope for you and I that God isn't done calling us into the role of his ambassador, of being an intentional influencer in the lives of people in our world. I want you to hear this clearly today. It's not about what you've done and who you've been up till today. It is about who are you going to be today moving forward. That's the hope of this message, is not to pound the fact that maybe you have lived with great indifference. You have not been interested of being a person of intentional influence because that's messy and it's more comfortable surrounding myself with Christians. That was definitely my story I shared vulnerably with you last week. But moving forward, there's hope for change. There's the opportunity for change that God is not done And I want to give you that encouragement today as we move forward and look at the rest of the story. When you look at Jonah's message, it's not that compelling. These eight words are almost like a mic drop. 40 more days, you're going to be overthrown. You know? Just kind of drop the judgment bomb and walk away. And sometimes people are critical, commentaries or other pastors of this message. From what we read, we don't know that God told him to say anything different. From the response, what we're going to see in a minute of how they respond, maybe he didn't need to. So I'm not going to be critical of, the, of what I don't know about this passage. I'm just going to give them the benefit of the doubt. God said, bring this message of judgment and let me do what I'm going to do. And that's exactly what Jonah does. For you, unless you retain the role of prophet like Jonah, and by the way, I'd say very few, if any of us in this room would claim that, words of pending judgment probably won't be what God wants you to bring to your relational world. If you keep doing this, you're toast. Probably not what God is setting you up for, but I can tell you with great confidence what I know you're all called into, what I'm called into, and that is to be his ambassador, watch this, for reconciliation, for redemption. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us, watch this, we implore you on Christ's behalf, what? Be reconciled. Be reconciled. Recognize what God has done for you, respond to it. Let's see what else is going on. Number two in your notes. Expect that God is already at work in the lives of those you influence. Expect that God is already at work in the lives of those you influence. I really want you to see this today. If you walk out of here feeling this burden that you're supposed to save, quote, quote, save everyone in your world, you're absolutely not hearing what I'm trying to communicate today. This does not rise and fall on you. What this is, is an opportunity to be a partner with God and what he's doing in people's lives and also through other people. Watch this in the narrative, chapter three, verse five. The Ninevites believed God. They heard this message. They believed, and by the way, it doesn't say they believed Jonah. They believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals... Herds or flocks taste anything. 
Do not let them eat or drink, but let the people and animals be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Now watch this logic. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Man, I got to tell you, this is probably the most amazing response of repentance to any eight-word sermon any time in history. This is amazing. Eight words, 40 more days, and then it'll be overthrown. And the king, when it finally gets to the king, man, he just goes, we're going to do everything we can to see if there's any way that this God would relent. The king of Assyria, all the way down to the Assyrian livestock. Did you get that? Animals are going to fast. Now, this, is, this is pretty intense, right? So this is a big deal. All of these things are declared, and what they're supposed to do is call out with an intense prayer to a God that they don't even really know. They're just hearing about, maybe even for the first time. I want you to note this. I, know, I want you to notice as well the change in behavior that's described. Remember we said this last week. You can be sorry for something, and you express that via emotion. You have sorrow. Those words are connected. But when we say the word repent, repent isn't so much a feeling, though it has feelings connected to it. Repentance is demonstrative. It's an action. Repentance all over the Bible means I was walking this way, and then I turned around and started walking this way. So repentance has a demonstration, and here's the cool thing. When you look at this passage, you will see an obvious turning of the people by the king's decree to something different, to something that looks more like what God would want. I want you to see this. Look what flows out of that initial statement in the narrative. The Ninevites believed God. That's powerful. Just, power, just let that sit for just a second. They took seriously what this God was communicating through this prophet. They recognized that Jonah's message of pending judgment was accurate and that it was deserved. Did you catch that? Never once did the king or anyone else say, who are you to come and tell us what's wrong with us? Who are you? Remember, this isn't just any old city. This is the capital city of the world empire. There's nobody bigger than Assyria in the 8th century BC. That would have been the easiest thing to say. You're some puny guy from Israel. We've been making your life horrible and we're going to keep it up. We're going to ultimately even overthrow you. Who are you to come tell us anything of substance? They don't reject this message at all. They actually see we deserve what we're hearing. They demonstrated sorrow for their sinful ways in the form of covering themselves with sackcloth. That, that idea at this, um, this time in history, that was a way we see it all over the former covenant. Even the people of Israel, King David, put sackcloth on, covered himself in ashes to demonstrate this sense of sorrow. Sometimes a sorrow was based on like mourning a loss and grieving. Other times it was grieving over your own sin. So the king says, we're all going to do this. We're all going to demonstrate this kind of sorrow for what we've done. And then he calls everyone's laser focus upon on this re responding to this God through the lens of fasting. If you don't know why fasting is significant, some of us have engaged in fasting before, others of us have not. But this is what it does. When you are feeling a bodily hunger, it causes you, that, that is what wants to become the focus. Fasting is to say, God, this is what my body is wanting right now, but my heart, my soul, wants to find satisfaction and focus upon you. This group of horrible people call a fast to bring laser focus 
on what needs to happen right now. We need to give our attention to this God who is telling us that judgment is coming. Look what they did. They urgently called out upon God. And I love the logic of the king. Who knows? This sounds like it's going to be really bad. Who knows? But if we make these changes, maybe this God will relent. They had about this much confidence that this might not happen, but this was about the only shot they had. We're just going to give it a try. It's all we can do. Man, when you stop and think about the kingdom-wide effect of one little guy's message in that community, think about not so much Jonah's incredible oratory skills. Think of what was already going on in this king's heart. That's what I want you to see today. I want you to see stuff that we don't read in Jonah in the book that we can't know, but what was already going on in this king's heart, in the people's heart, that would make them available, ready to hear this and respond. I guarantee you it was more than Jonah walking through the city and saying eight words. That's the thing I want you to realize in your life as well is that there are things that God is doing in the people's lives that you're connected to far beyond. You are not an island of influence in people's lives. There are all kinds of people that are praying for your people, involved in their lives, investing. You simply get to be a part of that team. And you can expect that God is on the move. Last thing, look what the king does. He demands that the people repent, not just feel sorry for, turn away from their evil ways and violence towards one another. Watch this in your notes. When we see the need to get our lives right vertically, there's always a necessary horizontal aspect to it. Remember we talked about that last week, Jonah, I feel really bad, God come rescue me from the fish, but there's no interest in doing things horizontally right. He's just very interested in the vertical relationship when this pagan king realizes that this God is going to rain judgment on them, he realizes not only the need to vertically be right, but horizontally. That's powerful. That he got that, and even God's own prophet didn't understand that. There's something about what we've been doing towards each other that this God is also concerned about and wants to see change. Now, we just said a minute ago that your message to your relational world as being an ambassador of Jesus will most not likely be, you better turn or you're toast. It's probably not a message of just raining judgment bombs on people. We don't go through the city proclaiming judgment like Jonah did, but we do go to our people, to our people intending to bring Jesus' influence in their lives. So by looking at your faces, I can gather this question. How would you obediently engage as Jesus' ambassador in your world? I can totally see it. No problem. I'm going to answer that. Let me give you some help. I have five ideas about how to be an intentional influencer. Look at your notes. The first is this. Identify. Make a list of your 8 to 15 in your relational world. When we talk about your relational world, we talk often and, and, and we try to keep breaking that down. What does that mean? Take a look at this graphic. I think this helps a lot. And, and, and the idea, when I think of relational world, I think best actually in concentric circles. What we're saying is, is that there are people that you don't have to try to earn relational credibility with because they know you. They do life with you. When you walk up to someone's door and start knocking on the door and start trying to have a conversation about Jesus, they don't know you from Adam And now all of a sudden, you're trying to build rapport and build trust. You don't have to build rapport and build trust with your people. Now, by the way, you might have violated their trust. They might have violated yours. But the issue is you're a known entity, and that knownness is huge in terms of influence. 
I would also say the particular people in your world, if you'll see things through a lens of God's sovereignty, then you'll know that they're supernaturally and strategically placed there. Some of us are here today and you're like, Todd, I would love to trade some people out of my world. Okay, like you take them and you take them and can I have yours? You know, I get that. I get that, but this is not up to you and I. This is not something that we just kind of go, because what would we do? We'd surround ourselves with people that we're comfortable with. Oh, no messes. Exactly what I was hoping for. God knows better. And so when you look at that graphic, this is the idea. This is your relational world, people that you're doing life with. They're the people that you live under the same roof with. They're the people that you go to school with. They're the people that you work with. They're the people that you have as next door neighbors. They're your extended family. This is your world. And this is where it begins is you write their names down. Every exit here today has these cards at them. And, and you can keep going, yeah, there's people in my world, and I know I should be more intentional. No, it begins actually with just identifying them. On my list, I have 11 that are noted here today. So it doesn't have to be 8, doesn't have to be 15, whatever it is. Identify people that are in your world. That's where it just begins. Secondly, it, be, it also is about interceding. And by the way, the word pray doesn't start with an I, so I used a different word. So. But, but interceding actually is that. It means praying on behalf of others. So to intercede is to begin to pray for the daily for the people on your list, for their spiritual condition, and for opportunities to be a source of Jesus' influence in their life. So now that I have a list, and this is what I love, a, a series ago in our series, Real Mature, Bill talked about spiritual rhythms. This can become a spiritual rhythm in your life, part of your daily routine, is that I keep this in the front of my Bible. This comes out of my Bible, and I'm looking over these names, and these are the kinds of prayers that I pray over the people. I know in your, on your list, just like mine, are some people who already are convinced of who Jesus is. I pray for their next step in their obedience towards him. I know there are some people on my list who are yet unconvinced of who Jesus is. I pray for their first step. These are the kinds of things I pray over this list. The, the other kinds of prayers that you would have the privilege of having a meaningful conversation, not with everyone on your list today, but at least someone. Someone on your list, as you pray over these names, God, would you give me the opportunity to have a meaningful conversation, some way to encourage, some way to share truth with them, some way to demonstrate I care for them. That becomes one of the rhythms of your prayers towards these folks. Maybe the prayer is that you would be able to meet some sort of tangible, real need in their lives. Something that, as you do life together, because you're going to see them today, as your lives intersect, what's a tangible way I can meet a need in what they have going on? That, that's a good prayer to pray over this list. Maybe the idea, like we said earlier, that God would simply supply other Jesus followers in their lives and that we become, we become this great stereo effect they are seeing people who love Jesus connecting with them and realizing, man, before I even hear the message, I'm sure seeing the demonstration of who Jesus is, I, I'm interested. Man, pray for teammates. Pray for people to be around the people that you are caring about and concerned about, that God would bring them to a place of realizing their need for him. And that's the last example I would say for people in your world who are unconvinced. I, I pray a dangerous prayer. I pray, God, would you bring them to the end of themselves? Because I know that's the only time we ever look up, as when we've exhausted every other opportunity but God, and then we realize that's, that's exactly what I needed all along. 
These are the types of ways you can pray for the people in your world on a daily basis. Look at the next one, invest. Invest in your notes. Be someone who genuinely loves and enhances the lives of the people in your world. Man, this is huge. And I want you to know investment doesn't look like a debate. Investment doesn't mean how you can win that argument. Investment means I want you to genuinely understand I care about you as is. You don't have to fix your mess before I'll be your friend. You don't have to get yourself together before we can have a connection, before we can grow in a friendship. I'm gonna reach out right where you are. You remember back in November, we brought out Doug Pollock, the author of um, Godspace. And Doug did such a great job. He was here at those morning services. You can take a look at the picture of his book. And then that afternoon, did a great seminar for us on Sunday afternoon. And what you would hear, the overall consistent message from Doug that day It wasn't how to beef up on apologetics. It was how to ask good questions. How to demonstrate genuine care for people right where they are, not once they make a decision. And that was a powerful day for us as a church. There were hundreds of us that went over to this event afterwards and really were encouraged, like, this this makes sense. This is stuff I could do. Make true investments in people's lives. Next, number four, invite. This is that come and see approach that Philip used with Nathaniel in John John 1. I love that phrase. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. Let Let me introduce them to you. Just come this way. I'll show you. And I want you to know that your ministry staff here at Trinity Church, we are working. We are, these are concerted weekly conversations we're having about how can we, how we can be great partners to you by putting together entry point events, by having weekend worship services that are available for everyone to attend. That's a big deal to us. We're taking that seriously because we want to be a great place you can invite someone. And I love this last one, the fifth one, introduce. You have the amazing opportunity to introduce people in your world to the Jesus who's transformed yours. And that, to many of us, here's the interesting thing. That's what all you thought evangelism was, was point five. Watch the other, and these are meant to be sequential. Look at the other ones that all precede this. And this opportunity is really, that's what it's all about as it leads up to, is that is just when you just go, God, I can't believe that you used me as part of this in this person's life. It's definitely not on me. I can't take any credit. I wouldn't begin, begin to, but God, look how I got to be involved. And for some of you, you, you have great approaches with that, whether it be the Romans Road or whether it be the four spiritual laws, but I'll just tell you, Every week, earlier today, even in our communion time, I always end our services with the ABCs. Can I tell you, as you know that, if you've been here for the last two and a half years, you know that, can I tell you what to do when I'm doing that? If you've already made that decision, can I encourage you weekly to pray for someone in your world who hasn't yet? I know I'm not saying that to you, but pray for someone during that time when I'm going over those ABCs, God, would you be at work in this person's life who who ultimately needs to come to this decision? That's how you should use that time weekly when I'm praying for people in general. You can pray specifically. So be, be aware of this today. Please hear this. Like I've said earlier, if you walk out of here feeling the burden that you have to go save people, you haven't heard the message today. You simply get called into a partnership to be Jesus' influencer, his ambassador to your world. And the great news is he is doing so many things around you. Just like Jonah had no idea how God was gonna use his words of pending judgment, you have no idea of what God has already been doing in the lives of your people. 
How he's already gone before you being involved in the work, and now you can expect, as you're investing, inviting, interceding, identifying, introducing, you can expect that God's going to use what you add to that. That's, to me, so exciting. Number three today, finally, God is in the mercy business. God is in the mercy business. Jonah 3.10, when God saw what they did, the people of Nineveh, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Amazing. Not only amazing response by the people, but amazing mercy from God. And I want you to know today, God delights in showing mercy to people. That is God's posture And I say this, praise God, it's not that God just gives mercy to other people, praise God looking in the mirror, he gives it to that guy. You and I all need it. Like we've said earlier today, the first time God called you to something, you didn't respond, you went your own way, just like I did. And it's God's mercy that gives us the opportunity to obey anew in the future. Some people don't have this view of God. They contend that either God is against us Or they would even say that God's just simply ambivalent towards our plight. But I would say the word of God says something very different. Look at 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Paul says it in Romans 2, 3, and 4. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, this is through the lens of how people are all wayward and against God's waves, but you, watch, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? You do the same stuff. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his forbearance, and his patience? Watch, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. That's the purpose of God's mercy. And Paul, he says it to a young pastor in training, 1 Timothy 1, here is a trustworthy saying saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Can we just say yay God to that? Yay God. Because you can put your name there. Every one of us. Christ Jesus came into the world to save you. Watch. Of whom I am the worst related to sinners, Paul says. But for that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So let me wrap it up this way. For some of us today, it's been a struggle to understand the Jonah tension. But now all of a sudden, some things are starting to come together. Remember we said in chapter one, God, I'd rather die than go to those people because we kind of put, connected some dots. Those people, the Ninevites, the Assyrians, had intersected negatively in his life to some degree, maybe even very personally. But their armies had definitely been marauding in the nation of Israel. He hated them. And the best thing that can happen is that God's wrath comes. Some of us, as we see today, when we realize the Ninevites repent, some of us go, I kind of now understand that tension a little more. There are some people in my life that, if I'm just going to be honest, are definitely on the hate scale. And if God ever did a work in their life and they actually came to know him as Savior and Lord, I would be feeling what Jonah's feeling right now. Because, God, I wish you'd just whack them. But I have a feeling that for most of us, that might be true for some of us, but for most of us, it's a little different. 
It's actually this. Think of it this way. Think about the people. This is how it is for me. Not that I have this list of people I hate because they've wounded me so deeply. Instead, I have a list of people I've just been ambivalent toward. They've been in my relational world and I just haven't cared. Now watch this. What happens when God gets a hold of one of those people's lives through someone else in their relational world who did want to get in the mess, who did want to demonstrate Jesus, who did invite them to things at their local church, and they come to Christ? And I sit there and watch that and say, huh, that was someone I didn't even care to get involved at some kind of important, significant spiritual level. Watch this. But now that they're Christians, I'm actually interested in getting to know them better. Now that they're safe, I'd be happy to be their friend. I'm not talking about hypotheticals. This week in our family group, I wanted to make sure I had my facts straight. So I told my friend Eric Memory, him and his wife Julia in our group, I said, I want to make sure I want, number one, I want to make an example of you. And number two, I want to make sure I get this right. So we kind of walked it out as we finished our home group discussion this week. And, and this is how it went. And, and Eric said, yep, that's how, that's how it went. I knew Eric since time I was probably about fourth grade. We played in Little League together. And ultimately, um, later on, we didn't go to the same schools or anything, but ultimately, um, I would be on a baseball team with Eric in my sophomore year of high school. And I knew Eric even in my freshman year. We played against each other. I told him about this one time. I came into home plate. He was a catcher and was standing on the plate. I was looking to where the ball was and literally just smacked right into him. We both fell down. I'm like, you're an idiot. What are you doing? So I didn't even have just an ambivalence. I'm like, you're a punk, right? So... That, that was my history, and, and in high school, Eric was an athletic guy who ran in popular circles, and I ran in some similar ones, so I, I knew and I knew of Eric, but definitely, though he was in my relational world, made no attempt to be involved in his life in any meaningful way. In our senior year, there were people who did, people I knew very well as well, and really made an effort to say, Eric, you need Jesus and I'd love to introduce him to you. And Eric became a Christian in his senior year of high school. I became aware of this kind of more second, third hand. And then the change in Eric's life, he actually right out of high school went to Christian college and was going to be in youth ministry. I mean, he's just going for it. And I remember getting reconnected to Eric our freshman year of college and realizing, man, God's done a great work in you. You want to hang out? We became close. We had some funny stories we were rehearsing with our small group the other night. Eric was a, um, an usher in my wedding. Once he was safe. I hate that. I hate that I wasn't involved. I hate that I wasn't a person who would say, Eric, as is, in all of your mess, in all of your cockiness, your arrogance of being a typical high school jock, I want to reach into that and I want to be a part of that partnership that God is doing in your life. Eric's in my small group now. We're friends. But man, I missed that opportunity back when. And I just want to put out to you, I want you to have different stories. I want me to have different stories than the ones that we've written up till now. 
that say, God, I'm happy to get involved in people's lives once they come to know you and they change their ways. I want you to go, God, you put that person in my life. They're a mess. So am I. But praise God, you change us. Praise God, you forgive us. Praise God, you love us. I want to invest. And my hope is that Trinity Church, we will begin to say, I want to be a part of those stories. It's not all on you, but I want to be a partner with God in the way that he brings transformation to lives. And I want you to hear clearly today, I know he can use you. Let me pray. So Father God, we say thank you. We've seen it all over the pages of Jonah 3 today that you are a merciful, patient God. Thank you that you have been that way for us. Thank you that you are postured that way towards the people in our world who so desperately need to hear your good news. And would you, would you stir in us, whether for some of us it's a lack of courage, whether for others of us it's a sense of, I just don't even know where to start. Where for others of us, there's a genuine just sense of, I'm inept, I don't know my Bible well enough. Whatever the roadblock is, God, would you remove it today? Would you help us see that we have this amazing opportunity to be a people of Jesus' influence in people's lives? God, the same grace and mercy you've demonstrated to us, you want to keep giving to others. Would we be a people who give it away? And would our stories change? Would we have more stories of seeing the way you allow us to partner with you and you see people put their faith in you? Jesus, we want to be those people and we want to see those people at Trinity. We love you. Thank you so much for redos. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.